Support for Waveform comes from Anthropic. So looking for an AI solution for a business, it might be time to check out the Claude 3 family from Anthropic, your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. So whether you're powering a customer chat experience or doing complex R&D or need advanced analysis, Anthropic can help provide you with frontier intelligence. So if you're looking for speed, power, or anything in between, the Claude 3 family offers AI models for a variety of tasks and budgets. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Support for this show comes from Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync so that even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account. So ambitious companies have the precision, control, and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. All right. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Welcome back to another episode of the Waveform Podcast. We're just changing the intro up every time. Uh, we're your hosts. I'm Marquez. And I'm Andrew. And in today's episode, we'll react to the full announcement of the Galaxy S21 lineup. It's officially official now. And we also have then special guest Kyle Connor, who was the one that broke the electric cross-country record that we were talking about last week mm-hmm. in a Porsche Taycan. Uh, so we'll talk about that experience and what it was like for him because he's also the one who set the previous record in a Tesla Model 3. So that's a fun chat. But first, it's CES week, isn't it? It is. It doesn't feel like it. It's kind of nice. Would you? This is the first CES you've quote-unquote missed in, what, nine years? So yeah, I guess technically you can say that. It is the, the first ever digital CES. Mm-hmm. We don't all want to descend upon one city with... 100,000 people internationally going into one <laughs> no, building. So so it is digital CES. But uh, I'm not super in the weeds like I usually would be. And no. I feel like it would be kind of kind of a lot to just be going to virtual CES stuff every day. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure how it's even all working. Like, is, there's just a bunch of breakout rooms, but I can't imagine they're scheduling them all great to meet with every, for every creator to have easy days to... Yeah, sort through it all. So there's the way it kind of is working is there's been a lot of meetings leading up to CES week. Okay. So not necessarily happening this week. And then there's a bunch of embargoes during this week. Mm-hmm. So now the companies are going to make their announcements of their CES showcase. And also people who have been previewed on those things can share their impressions mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. those announcements. So just a ton of embargoes and a ton of meetings and stuff happening. Some of them overlap. That's fine. It happens. Yeah. I think my like initial reaction to seeing it kind of play out um i mean like you said we haven't been that invested in it this year as we have in previous years but 
the first thing I thought of knowing this was going digital was like, I think all the big companies, your Samsungs, your LGs, your Razors are, are going to be fine. They're going to get the same amount of hype as they always get pretty much. Maybe not as great B-roll of LG making a 50-foot wall of TVs that like tower over you. But Honestly, um, they're saving money there. Probably saving a ton of money. Um, but like all those small companies that you've never really heard of but happen to just make a really nice booth with something that's really eye-catching and that really just like makes a cool two-minute video um they're the ones who are going to hurt from this so it's i I feel the worst for all of them i don't know how they're going to get their their stuff out yeah that's the thing about ces is that was their chance to to do more than just an email Mm -hmm. and right now obviously all they have is email but before we'd go to ces and we'd be walking on our way from (laughs) lg to razor you kind of you know you have the big staples you would pass by something that catches your eye and that's the whole point of CES uh-huh. is they have these demos, they hook you in, they've got this giant keyboard, they've got this random segue, whatever it is, and you see it and you try it and you were never going to even go, but you sort of stumbled across it in, on your way to other things. And that seems very hard to pull off in a virtual way yeah, because it's not the same. It's I mean, in person. I mean, we've stopped at booths where they said, oh, I've emailed you a couple times like I, you probably have yeah, yeah and sometimes like things don't just come across as well on an email as they do when you see them right in front of you so uh, i i think my other wonder is what's dr fuji doing right now do you think he's just doing like a 48 hour continuous live stream of his vendor uh, <laughs> what is what's that what is that even called well that one last year i guess he had this like fitness tool it was like you stand in this rubber band that would like shake you back yeah. and forth I, I, it's I, like those old 80s like aerobic ab machines that i hope dr fuji is doing a live stream that'd be fun that would be that'd, that'd be, be fun basic. is there anything actually good noting from ces have you so come, come that, across it that's what i tried to dive into the last couple of days is like what is really going i think it started when we saw austin post like hey what's your favorite tech from ces you've seen and we looked at it and there were not a lot of good answers (laughs) thank you austin for posting that because i was reading through the replies trying to figure out like what do people care about from ces and nothing really stood (laughs) out there um i so what i did was i found a bunch of different websites listing their their favorite ces items they've seen so far i think a telltale sign was when i was scrolling through one from wired the best gaming ces gadget was Razer's RGB N95 mask, and I was just oh, like, man. "This is where we are for CES 2021. This okay. is the best gaming accessory." <laughs> so I did get that that briefing. I saw you the got email. the briefing for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I, I read through the whole press release and saw the, the product photography mm-hmm. and everything. I was like, "Razer, okay." If anyone ever consistently makes a splash at CES, one hundred percent, it's Razer, right? We always know to just check out their booth and see what they're doing. They'll have all their other products there, but their random vaporware ces announcement or maybe sometimes it eventually happens mm-hmm. you can count on it so i was like all right uh, razor has a ces briefing let's check it out and sure enough yeah it's like the there's two other products and then there's this rgb n95 mask which is exactly what it sounds like it's a mask with lights and it's got a razor logo and sure enough that made the headlines that made yep. the rounds but putting it in a best of ces i don't know if that actually makes sense is that is i think that's good? just going to tell what is the the quality at CES this year. Um, I mean, I think it's kind of neat, but I don't think it should be in gaming accessories. But do either you, way. Do you wear that outside? Like, I'm imagining you have lights there... on your mask. Like, <laughs> are you inside wearing it with, like, other people wearing masks that light up? What is this? My, like, theory on it is 
I think it is cool, and I would never have the confidence to wear it in front of anybody. Heelys. <laughs> there you go. Okay. The Razor Mask is the Heelys of the tech world Got it. right now. There you go. B- glowing endorsement. Print it on the box <laughs> when you sell it. Marquez Brownlee. I said it. The Heelys. Um, yeah, I think, see, other than that, it's pretty pretty standard CES stuff. You see, like, a bunch of 8K TVs. You see a bunch of robots. You see a bunch of new gaming laptops and gaming accessories and headphones and all that that's not is, that fun to just like read articles about it's fun to go see and physically test them out and, exactly and test them all out in a row and yeah. be like oh i tried out three different gaming monitors today this one definitely felt the best yeah um, and don't get me wrong like that stuff is cool like i've seen some of the showcases when i went we'll talk about samsung in a second but mm-hmm. when i went in to go shoot the Galaxy S21, I also got a peek at a lot of their CES stuff, and it's like, there's, dude, there's a 90-something inch mm-hmm. TV that's 8K, I think it's micro-LED, it's got a 99.99% screen-to-bezel ratio, it's incredible, it's just like, how much of a video, How? what can I even say yeah, about yeah, this, yeah. it's like, look at it, it's sweet, right? Okay, yeah, moving on. A lot of that is like more fun for us when we go and we just like kind of tweet about what we're doing on the show floor the whole day, and you're like kind of following the footsteps, and other thing I think about with those giant TVs is, is like every year when we go to see them, you can like feel the people shoulder to shoulder on you trying to wade through the crowd to get one picture. And that just makes me f- feel disgusting. It hits different. In yeah, it's a lot different. Yeah. Um, I will, though, pull one thing out of CES that does seem cool and go would, for it. would hands down be the thing we go like, uh, like must go check out if we were there. Um, Last year we saw TCL with their rollable phone, but it was like a paper model. This year they did a new, I wouldn't call it a model, but like a display case of how the rollable screen works. Instead of physically being in like a phone prototype model, just imagine like a display case with two pillars and then the screen kind of uh, like a scroll. Mm-hmm. And the, the display case would pull and push the pillars back and forth out right. and in with the, the working display, I believe, at least on it. So. Could you say we're one step closer to a rollable phone That's and exactly that we're seeing the screen? It. But it's weird because it's like you're not seeing it in the body. So I guess we had a model prototype followed by the working screen, but now that has, because obviously that display case has a ton of electronics underneath it and stuff that couldn't fit into a phone. Yeah, that's that's really interesting to me. So uh, a lot of times you see these concepts sort of quickly come to life mm-hmm. when they have any sort of traction. You realize, oh, you know, this was really popular. People really like the idea. Let's put the dollars and R&D in and work on it. And to me, you know, every year at CES, we see all kinds of crazy screens. They're like bent and twisted around yeah, a pole, yeah. and there will be a screen that's like bent in half over a cube, and then a screen that's, you know, the size of a table. There will be a hundred foot wall of screens, like all this crazy stuff. The fact that the rollable phone has gone from a paper display idea to a rolling display not connected to a phone is a little slower than I expected. And I wonder if it's like harder than they anticipated because getting phone pieces to cooperate with that form factor sounds really hard. I mean, if you think about it, two years ago, we were all mesmerized by LG's rolling TV and that was gigantic, like three or four feet wide. And even just the fact that now we have it in this like around one foot box that rolls where the screen showing the whole time and rolls sideways, like... Mm -hmm. That feels like a big step, but yes, when last year you saw a phone model that you held in your hand and kind of got the feeling of what it looks like, 
that I think that made us just feel like we were way closer to it than we really were. Yeah, we were thinking, oh, all we got to do is put the phone inside. Yeah, this screen, we just need the screen there, and, and it's the screen in that, and it's good. And yeah, that'll be interesting um, to keep an eye on. I saw a couple rolling phones. I'll, I'll, I'll obviously be trying to get my hands on one this year. Sure. We'll see who ends up making an entire working rolling phone first. Seems like it's TCL versus LG right now. Okay, and I want to say TCL seems like they've shown more off so far um i have to also say tcl always seems to be like one of the underdog booths at ces it's like not quite samsung or lg but they always have a huge booth with a ton of stuff and all the stuff they have there is like similar specs to all the stuff that is in samsung and lg it's just they're not as well known of a brand and they might not be pushing the limits quite as more but they're making a uh they make some good stuff over there. They're not as they well known of a they're not as well known of a brand, but they are a sneaky huge company. Yeah. So, all right, that's cool. a that's a little that's... CES bug. Uh, but we did, of course, have our first our first event of the year, mm-hmm. our first actual like unveiling, which I think technically puts it at the top of our power rankings to yeah. start the year, which is uh, Samsung Unpacked January 2021 Galaxy S20 series S21 series mm-hmm. gets unveiled. Okay. What are your thoughts? I've had the phones here. I've held yeah. them already. You're seeing them for the first time. Mm-hmm. You saw. You said you'd hold your judgment on the spec sheet till you see it. So. Yeah. So I guess let's talk about design first. Yeah. I think what design you, to me. I'm gonna hand it to you. Yeah. Right now. This is the just S20, right? S21 Plus, right there. Or S21. This is Plus. I think so. Actually, let Wait, me hold it. Maybe that's. I the, feel like this is the smaller one. That might be the small one. They're kind of hard to tell apart until you hold them. Six point two oh, on the man, S21. I, I think 6. this is just 7. regular S21. Okay. Right. There you go. Okay, it's the lilac color. Actually, yeah, the back is. It's a phantom the, violet. Is phantom official, violet is what they call it. Official name. Just that name is really funny. It's like super aggressive slash super cutesy. Like phantom violet. Powerpuff the, girl. Yeah, that would be like the, that would be the new age grown up Powerpuff girl like yeah. comic book. Um, exactly. It's nice. I'm not a huge fan of this purple color violet color uh but the gold accents make it look good i do actually really i like how it rounds into the edges you were mentioning how like if you just looked like if i put my two fingers on both of where the edges go down on the camera bump Mm -hmm. it just looks like a really thick phone right but i would be okay with it being that thick the whole way around but then it like melts into a thinner phone yeah. and looks like sort of, a, it's like an overlap, basically. I talked about it in the video. I was trying to describe it. Uh, it's I think it's kind of polarizing. I think you see a lot of different reactions of people going, wow, that's a huge, weird-looking camera bump. It's up in the corner. It doesn't look like anything I've seen. I like, one, that it's unique. I don't think I've seen anything else that looks yeah. like this. Two, I like that it's a very well-considered like blend into the rest of the phone because on that violet one you're holding that gold color of the camera bump turns into the color of the side the rails, rails yeah. of the phone. So it's actually very well. I was looking forward to other like color combos just like that. Like make a body one color, mm-hmm. make the color on the rails another color. Accents. That would have been cool. Uh, so I, I kind of like it. I was digging it. I think a lot of people looked at it and said, whoa, that's weird. It's different. I don't like it. But we say that about, about a lot of camera bumps and they end up being kind of fine. So Yeah, one thing I do really like about them in terms of functionality standpoint is that they're, the bump is majority metal and the cameras are a little recessed down. So if you're putting the phone on the table, you're not scratching the glass that's covering the lenses. Yeah. Um, and probably not smudging it quite as much either, which just seems nice. Less times you have to wipe yeah. your camera off to get it. 
sharp picture. Um, it's a nice little underrated design yeah. flaw, tweak other, right there. Other than that, I really the Ultra just seems like too big of a phone for me, but the black color is so good. Okay, let me just give my two cents on the, the Phantom Black, right? Yeah. Number one, I, I like matte black. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this. Where are your royalties like, on in this a video, phone? Yeah, like, I don't know if I've ever said this out loud in a mic before, but I'm a big fan of matte black. My car is matte black, and I named it Phantom, just for some perspective. Mm -hmm. So I'm holding this matte black, the Phantom Black Galaxy S21 Ultra, Huge fan right off the bat. As soon as I took it out the box, I was like, this is sick. This is a great-looking phone, a great-looking color. Very curious to see how it holds up over time against fingerprints yeah. because matte black, matte gray, dark phones in general with these like matte finishes notoriously look the worst with a bunch of fingerprints on them. So if it was matte white, we wouldn't see any of this. We'll see. It's going to be about a week before my review. We'll see how it holds up. So far, it doesn't look too bad. Like, initial trying to put fingerprints on it didn't seem to get as crazy. I you always wonder. faintly see some yeah, stuff. Based on angles, like, Matt always has a weird angle uh, compared with wherever your light source is coming from where you can see things you just don't see normally. But, yeah. I mean, like, I would obviously take that over a mirror finish any oh, yeah. day of the week. Yeah. Um, mirror finish, you can see fingerprints if you've literally never touched the phones. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, color. I think the only other thing I want to say about color is they quickly glossed over it and it probably took us like 20 minutes to confirm, but there's special colors you can only order on samsung.com and not necessarily that the, I think it's titanium, oh, this silver, is so weird and, and brown. Random. No, uh, titanium, navy, and brown. Yeah. Right? So the cool thing about those is the camera bump is carbon fiber. Randomly. Yeah. But just from samsung.com though. Yeah. So apparently the... If you order from Samsung.com, it doesn't cost anything extra to get the custom colors, but it takes four to five weeks extra to ship. Mm -hmm. um, I do think the colors look nice. I think the carbon fiber camera bump looks sweet, and I think it's a travesty that they don't offer phantom black with the black carbon fiber camera bump. That would have been nice. Right? Like I feel like that's just a huge missed opportunity. I get they're trying to do special production, like limited edition but it's a, it's a travesty. Yeah. All right. Well, we've talked about design a lot. I think the big feature, the big story with these phones is actually the price okay. and, and just sort of what they've done with the whole lineup. So let me just break it down. Galaxy S21 lineup is three phones, S21, S21 Plus, S21 Ultra. Last year, the lineup started at $999 and went up to $1299. This year, the lineup starts at $799 and goes up to $1,199, so drop everything by 200 bucks. So that's really great right off the bat, just for all the starting prices. But if you're Samsung, to pull that off, you have to find some things to tweak and to change to make that possible, right? Mm -hmm. So clearly the phones are better than last year. The Snapdragon 888 chip, you've got eight gigs of RAM in the S21, 12 to 16 gigs of RAM in the S21 Ultra, that's sweet. They've got these big, gorgeous 120 hertz adaptive refresh rate displays. Mm -hmm. Awesome, really thin bezels, hole punch cutout cameras, triple camera system on the S21, which is a main oh, ultra wide and a telephoto 3X. And then the S21 Ultra's got four cameras on the back. It's a main, it's an ultra wide, it's a 3X telephoto and a 10X telephoto, which will combine to give you that sweet space zoom again. Mm -hmm. It's a periscope camera. But there are a couple things to note that I think end up getting you that lower price. Okay. One, no expandable storage, 
This is a little bit minor, I think. I think there's going to be some headlines about it, but I think there's going to be some headlines about it, but no more micro SD card slot on the Samsung flagship, mm-hmm. so you're, you're, you're clocked in at whatever you buy. So keep that in mind. Two, the S21, just the smaller one, mm-hmm. is plastic. So it's not going to match the glass on the S21 Plus. So that's a little bit of a noteworthy point. And I think when you hold them, you kind of feel it. Like the S21 is lighter. It's I, a little bit of a different finish. You might not ever know if no one told you, but it's true. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a totally personal thing. That doesn't have to be a downgrade. You can look at that and say, I'm fine with that. There are people who might think it's a downgrade, but I mean, holding it, I'm totally fine with it. I would not be, I would not prefer that over glass or glass over that if I were given the choice. Yeah, I think there's like, we've had this connotation about plastic being cheapo or whatever. And in like a $1,400 phone, it starts to seem weird that it's plastic. And I don't even know if there's a good reason for that. But yeah, in a seven ninety nine phone, I'm okay with that. It's uh, good plastic, at least. It's it, not right, like like three hundred dollar Poco phone plastic, which I was still not that. I wasn't upset with that because it was three hundred bucks. This it's cheaper. That plastic, I can barely tell. If it's less breakable, I could maybe say I would prefer it almost. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, I think it'll it'll be you know there's a four thousand milliamp hour battery in the small one, forty eight hundred in the S twenty one plus, five thousand in the big phone. It's not really a whole bunch of other critical things that are missing. It's just like, oh, okay, now it's it's plastic, and now it's like a slightly less uh, max storage because no expandable, but still IP68, still really well built. I think it's a good set of things that they've done to the phones to land at this new price. So I love it. I think it's well done. Uh, the question for me is I'm holding the Ultra here like this. This is the phone I'm going to put my SIM card in and start using right off the bat. Is uh, How good are the cameras? Because these are some new some new camera stuff going on in here. They looked pretty good from my first like hour of playing with the very initial hands-on. Now that I've taken it out of the box, they look pretty good. But we'll be testing that for the review. And uh, yeah, <laughs> that phone's gigantic. It I'm is, just looking at it in your hand, and it is it's enormous. A, it's such a good-looking phone. It's because seeing it from the top. So we're sitting across from each other. So you're holding it, and the camera bump's facing me, and you just catch the glimpse oh. of the camera bunch bump like melting into the edge and it just looks so thick and just so big it's it's a big phone i honestly think i would if i had the choice i would just go for the regular s21 here Interesting. i'm not like i like bigger phones but some of them are getting too big and now all the smallest versions are like almost as big as my big phone yeah like it's not that much smaller than my pixel like 4 xl yeah and that was I mean, called the, the xl literally extra actually large. look if you take the forehead off, it's literally the same yeah. screen size, probably. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I like that phone. Damn. Yeah. Okay. So S21's am got your to, eye. Am I going back to Samsung? I mean, I'm, I will see. So there's also some new software going on. There's a new One UI 3, which is on the latest version of Android. So there's a, some slightly tweaked UI stuff going on that I got to give a shot. Some new animations, mm-hmm. some new stuff here and there. Uh, I think it'll be fine. I'm not, still, I'm not seeing a gigantic, like, major difference in the software, but I like the tweaks and updates. Mm-hmm. And what else was I going to say? Oh, the S Pen. Okay, they added <laughs> S Pen support to the S21 Ultra. Yeah, we talked a lot about this last time, but now we actually got to... I don't think we had any renders of what the case looked like. Right, mm-hmm. so we knew that the Note was always like the dedicated S Pen phone. The S21 Ultra now 
can work with any previous S Pen, but they've also made a new thicker S Pen that works with the S21. It's not a great experience. Uh, it's fine for me. Like this is my, I don't really use an S Pen very often, mm -hmm. but for me, my number one use case was pop it out of the note and start writing on the screen to take notes and it takes a note in Samsung Notes. It doesn't work that way on the S21 because you're using it passively, right? It's mm -hmm. just a Bluetooth stylus. So it's just sort of clipped into this rubber case on the side. You pop it out, the phone doesn't know you took it out until you start like using the screen. So that feature is gone from this phone. Uh, second of all, it doesn't yeah. pop into the phone itself. So it's like you need to buy a $40 S Pen. And of course you need to store it somewhere. So you sort of buy this $40 case. So you spent, I think it's a $30 case. So you spent $70 now on the whole thing just to attach your S Pen to the side of the phone. And yeah, it's just not the most elegant, like well done solution. If you're so into having number one, a super high end Samsung phone, and number two, you gotta have a stylus, this is an objectively worse experience yeah, at both of those things. Just get the note. It, yeah, do you wait? I would just wait for Note 21. I can't imagine you're that dire of a need. If you're in that dire of a need of Honestly, a of a stylus, buy the cheap that cheap Moto G stylus and wait till the S the twenty uh, Note twenty one comes out in yeah. probably August. It's crazy. I would just say get the Note twenty Ultra now because the price is already going to start going down now. Do you think they're only doing the S Pen in the large one because it's their like their luxury model, their top end model, and they want as many accessories for it as possible, or is it just because they assume S Pen works best on a bigger screen and that's the biggest screen? Good question. I think they added. S Pen support to the Ultra because they need to do as many things as possible to justify the higher price of the Ultra over the S21 Plus. <laughs> I, and right now, yeah. that difference is, it's a couple things that sort of add up to a $200 difference. There's no one major thing I point at and go, that's why you need this phone. The 10X periscope lens, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, how much do you really need the extra additional telephoto for your zoom photography? Not that much, right? Yeah. But it's there. Uh, the sweet colors, cool. They're there. The slightly larger display, it's 6.7 versus 6.8 inches. It's there, right? It's uh, 1440p at 120 hertz, which I didn't even mention. It's only 1080p on the two smaller phones. Uh, and it's also a 10 to 120 hertz adaptive refresh rate instead of 48 to 120. Mm. So it's slightly bigger. See, it's a bunch of little things, This is right? like a, if the S21 was a, a GTX 3080, that this is the GTX 3090. It's like yeah. you are buying this because you are willing to just throw down extra money for like Knowing very, you have the best thing. No, Yeah, knowing it's the best. Like the, the S21 Plus is going to do every single thing any person could ever want to do. And the other stuff's going to do it a little bit better, and you have spec bragging rights. Exactly. Much. So if one day you end up, you're being like, yeah, you know what? I kind of do want an S Pen. You just know that you can add it, and that's that's <laughs> something you that can you can eighty dollars and have yeah. a poor S Pen experience. So nice. good for you. You have that extra feature, but yeah, like I said, it's I think it's just a bunch of smaller things that add up to eventually be worth a separate phone. So they've made it the ultra. All right, I have one last thing I want to say quickly. And I feel like I've already seen cases for this and they don't do it. But all all the cases on this should somehow melt into the camera bump and then flushly sit, like connect to the way it connects to the rails. I can't believe Samsung's case didn't do that. I know. It, it really surprised me. It would look so clean if it just was flush with the camera bump and then you just had one flush back of a phone. Yeah, definitely. Whoever's making cases for the S21 right now, 
give me that flat back. It's going to be sick. Somebody's got to make it. I wonder, Lou, what is his case company? Lou? Later case? Later case. Later okay. case better. That's, that's a lot of engineering for a smaller company. But <laughs> Go for it. Somebody, somebody please make a nice flush case for the back of this phone. It'll I remember so uh, the D-Brand grip case got close last year with the with the S21. Or yeah, it does. I mean, the D-Brand grip case, though, is meant for, like, a ton of, uh, like, protection. So yeah. I'm not going to expect something with it, a huge amount of protection to go that uh, that flush with it. I'm, I'm thinking of, like, a thinner case like a later case would Got it. probably do it. More of a minor protection. Prepare your inbox. I bet, there's, I bet they're out there. <laughs> uh, last thing about the S21 line, none of these will come with a charging brick in the box. This is the new normal. I know we've used that phrase a lot <laughs> lately, but uh, yeah, the, it sort of started with the iPhone 12, this environmental angle of we're protecting you from all this extra stuff in the landfills. We only have one planet. Let's save it. Look, I'm all for that, but at the same time, if I spend $1,199 on the Ultra phone and I want all of the extras and all of the best stuff, I don't know. I feel like you should just throw a fast charger in there, maybe, but... This doesn't come with one. It will wireless charge at 15 watts, which is okay. And it will wired charge quickly if you happen to have a fast charger already. Quick question. Do you, the last couple Samsung phones, did the charging brick, was it USB-A or C? A, I believe it was A. And yeah. th so this went down the same, like my attempt at defending Apple was you probably have this wire already, but they gave you a C to lightning cable in there, which not a lot of people have bricks that have C connections. Mm -hmm. And Samsung did the same thing. They did a C to C connection. So it's... So it comes with a C to C cable in the box and most of the previous people buying Samsung phones have a yes. USB-A charger. Yeah, so it's just it. like... Roof. Apple and Samsung both here used this excuse and then gave a cable that doesn't fit to their excuse. You know what's really interesting? <laughs> Xiaomi gave an option to include a free charger for those who request it with the Mi 11. I think the easiest, so like, I, first of all, that's great. I think a lot of places should do that. I could see that being a like logistics and communications nightmare of like Two having skews, to whatever. Yeah. But include a coupon in the box to go to a Samsung store or your carrier or your Apple store and get your free charger. A recyclable coupon. Yeah, like it would just, it would take a, it would still eliminate all the waste. It would not, I'm sure you can find a way to charge your phone in a like not ideal solution for a week or so that you could get to the, get to wherever. But that, that seems like the easiest option to not have to deal with people calling in to get one or order. I don't know. This is a this kind of brings me to the topic of how quickly these OEMs can copy the Apple trend. And it, it here I'll I'll land on a question. Ready? So it, when we saw the headphone jack get deleted, mm -hmm. it was like a full gap year of everyone making fun of Apple. Before the next year, they all went, uh, you know, we have been working on wireless headphones, and then they get rid of the headphone jack. And then I saw, you know. The small box with the iPhone 12, that was September, October, right? Yeah. Already in January the next year, there's several phones out who have done the same thing with the same environmental angle. That's a couple months delay. When Apple gets rid of the port on the phone, <laughs> what is the lag time there? So so the port one's a way bigger scale. If I were trying to think of something small, like 
Charger in the box is an easy one. In fact, we had rumors of Apple not including Charger in the box. And before we confirmed that, we had rumors of other companies already following suit. True. So I'm waiting for the day where there's rumors of Apple getting rid of something as the first rumor, and then an Android product gets rid of that thing and releases before the Apple product that does that release. It's like that so preemptive no-hold yeah. cop, no hold phone or whatever they that came quote out. quote-unquote copy Apple before Apple even does it in the first place. It does happen. Well, we do have uh, we do have Samsung giving us a little smart tags uh, product before Apple's and a uh, rumored smart tags come I out. I think we're gonna test it by putting one on Max collar and just letting him out and uh, outside the studio. Go for chase an hour. some of those cats out there. <laughs> see how long it takes for us to find them. Yeah, no, we we did get some other products. There's also Samsung's new Galaxy Buds Pro wireless noise canceling earbuds. I have those as well in the studio, and we'll be checking them out. Let me know if you guys tweeted us what you guys want to see separate reviews of. Definitely let us know, but we're in the review process now. We're testing all the stuff. We've got the phones here at the studio. It's a good time. So let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll talk about Porsche Taycan, cross-country driving, and uh, a lot more. Be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent... You want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Support for Waveform comes from Coda. So it can be tough to stay organized when your team is spread across time zones. With Coda, you can help keep your whole team on the same page with an all-in-one collaborative workspace that brings together the best of documents, spreadsheets, and apps into one platform. That means less time ping-ponging between different tabs and tools and more time on your projects. So with Coda's extensive planning capabilities, you can stay aligned when managing planning cycles and while measuring objectives and key results. Plus, you can access hundreds of templates and get inspired by others in Coda's gallery. So over 50,000 teams across the world collaborate with Coda, from the New York Times to Square, uh, from Toast, to TED and Uber. So if you want a platform that enables and empowers your team to collaborate effectively and focus on shared goals, you can get started with Coda today for free. You can head over to coda.io slash wave. So that's coda, C-O-D-A dot I-O slash wave to get started for free. Coda.io forward slash wave. Support for this episode of Waveform comes from Gigabyte. There's a lot of talk out there about how AI is revolutionizing our world. Computers are writing newsletters, robotic bees are pollinating flowers, and a whole new wave of driverless taxis are popping up in cities all over the world. But how can AI power our passions and what we do for fun? 
That's where Gigabyte's AI gaming laptops come in. So their range of powerful and portable new laptops deliver cutting edge performance for anyone looking to explore the brave new world of AI powered gaming. So every 2024 Aorus machine comes equipped with the Gigabyte AI Nexus, which is like a central hub located with all the AI powered features you could hope for. So that includes super useful tools like AI power gear, which automatically throttles and extends your computer's battery life depending on your power source and usage. You also get access to AI Boost, which optimizes performance based on what you're doing in that moment, whether you're ripping through an FPS or running your own large language model. AI Boost automatically adjusts the GPU and processors to maximize responsiveness and deliver unparalleled efficiency. Lastly, AI Generator includes various generative AI apps for quick startup, and all 2024 Gigabyte models seamlessly integrate with tools like OpenAI and Microsoft's Copilot AI chatbot. But the Aorus 16X and the Gigabyte G6X take it to the next level with a dedicated Copilot key, allowing users to swiftly tap into productivity and generative AI capabilities. I also keep hearing AI is going to change a lot in the gaming world. Andrew, can you think of anything about that? Not just optimization, like you said, but like more personal optimization I could see happening where like maybe you're playing a competitive game like Valorant and you want higher FPS and lower resolution. Like you, you're okay versus like The Witcher where you might want 4K crispy resolution and like a lower frame rate. I think finding that between your computer specs and what you want might help out a lot. Nice. So all of the models that I've been talking about are available right now at oris.com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. So that's A-O-R-U-S dot com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. Gigabyte, team up, fight on. Support for this show comes from Mercury. Financial operations are needlessly complex. Startups have to cobble together a patchwork of tools to reconcile transactions from different sources and struggle to glean answers from platforms that speak different languages. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account, so you can pay bills faster, stay in control of company spending, and speed up reconciliation. Apply in minutes at mercury.com and join over 100,000 ambitious startups that trust Mercury not just for banking and credit cards, but for the precision, control, and focus they need to transform their financial workflows and perform at their best. Mercury, the art of simplified finances. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. Mercury is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group and Evolve Bank and Trust, members FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech. All right, Andrew. Yeah. Remember how last week we talked about uh, that cannonball record of the mm-hmm. fastest time driving across the country in an electric car? Yep. So the person who did that, he actually, he did it both in a Model 3 and then in a Taycan. He mm-hmm. also happens to have a podcast and uh, a great mic and is uh, <laughs> fun to talk to. And we talked about it. So we actually broke down a lot of like the strategy that went into his planning, mm-hmm. which was how far he would go between stops, how how much he would charge the Taycan. Just how he did it. Exactly, yeah. how he pulled it off. A little bit of comparison to the Model 3. 
it was a fun conversation. I really enjoy the behind the scenes. I've seen a lot of videos about how they do it in gas cars, mm -hmm. but getting a little window into how they did it in an electric car, and I actually learned a lot about the Electrify American network and how fast they're building. So it's a really fun conversation. Let's go ahead and listen. All right, Kyle, Connor, thank you for joining us on Waveform. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. So we talked about uh, on the previous episode of Waveform, the Cannonball Run set the record set by the Porsche Taycan for all electric vehicles. But you reached out to us. You wanted to talk more about it. We're super happy to, so I'm glad you have the time. First of all, what's your background? How did you get into cars and then EVs? And, and what's, the, uh, what's the run like? Yeah, so a lot to unpack there. Uh, huge <laughs> car enthusiast since I was a kid. Uh, but then started to actually get into it as a job. So like you review tech products and things like this. I review cars on my side, so, which is really fun. Uh, crazy to think that it can be a job, but uh, I, we review everything on our side. We have a little uh, media company called Out of Spec Studios. We have multiple channels, but our largest channels are electric vehicle outlets. And so we really have gone full in depth with really nerdy testing of electric vehicles from range testing to charging curves and things like this. And so... I had a Porsche Taycan coming up on loan from Porsche to do some testing with, and we had worked with them to get the right spec for what we needed, which is like the aero wheels, which you never find on a Porsche, of course, because everyone mm -hmm. wants the big wheels that look good. And um, I talked to our friends at Porsche and I said, hey, do you mind if I just shred this car across the country? <laughs> and they said- oh, so that was with a loaned car? It's with a press car, which is even crazier that uh, oh. we didn't even do it with an owned vehicle. And this is like sort of pushing the limits as to what's allowed, because as you know, you get cars to review. They need to stay perfect. They're going to other people. So I was amazed that Porsche said, yes, of course, uh, officially they can't condone any event that's speeding. All they allowed for us to do was to go across the country and put 8,000 miles on their Taycan. And uh, that's basically what we did. Okay, so do you do you drive an EV for your daily car? Yeah, I actually drive a BMW i3 every day. My girlfriend drives a Model 3, which we switch on and off depending. And uh, I have a little electric smart car to cruise around the city in, which is a blast. Nice. I've had a little fun in the i3. I think I tried it at CES maybe two, three years ago, and they told me they had these uh, automatic braking systems. They are like, I want you to drive at this concrete barrier and floor it. And so I did. I floored it, and the car broke by itself, and that was that was fun. It was a fun yeah, time. Yeah, love testing safety systems. The i3 is a seriously underrated car because it looks really weird, but the engineering is just so cool. Not sure what BMW is doing these days. Nothing interesting, unfortunately. Yeah. All right, well, before we talk EVs, I just want to talk about what Cannonball is because I mentioned I sort of dove in this YouTube rabbit hole. And so from what I understand, Cannonball is a... It's a point A to point B as fast as possible race, and that's kind of just all you need to know, but you're going from New York to California, and you have any number of modifications allowed to your car. You basically just have to just drive as long as you possibly can and get there as fast as you can. Is that accurate? Yeah, extremely accurate. The the you know traditional start and end points that most people are using for cannonballs right now is Red Ball Garage in Manhattan on East 31st Street, all the way to Portofino Hotel Marina in Redondo Beach, California. Uh, it's the traditional car and driver cannonball uh, route from the 70s. There's a lot of history there. And the times are getting insanely low. I mean, people are averaging 
over 110 miles an hour, including stops across the country. I mean, it is truly insane. And so that didn't really interest me so much. I said, you know, I don't want to go to jail, but I do love electric cars and wanted to push the limits. So a year and a half ago, my friend Matthew and I jumped in a Model 3 that I owned at the time. It was a long range rear wheel drive, the most efficient configuration. And uh, we tried to beat the electric record and we did. And then we just beat that again with the Taycan. So the electric record is really interesting to me because, you know, in the gas cars, essentially you can go for, we kind of know how a gas car works. You can just go for a while. You kind of know how many miles per gallon you'll get. You're at a set rate of speed. You're trying to be efficient. Um, and I'll even talk about some of the modifications to the cars a little bit later. But for a gas car, road trips are a process. Like you have to think about where you're going to charge. You have to think about how much you're going to charge. You're talking about charging curves earlier how fast you charge at different rates. It's very, it's a little complex actually to be able to pull off the best possible EV run. So what do you think was the hardest, uh, the hardest set of considerations? Was it planning the trip and where you would charge when? Yeah, the, the, you're totally right. The EV runs are just a giant math problem and you're calculating everything along the way. One of the hard things ahead of the drive is you're not sure of your efficiency on each leg. Uh, there's a lot of elevation changes that you can kind of account for, but also weather and headwind really affect a car's efficiency. And uh, as mo as you know, and I'm sure most of your audience knows, electric cars really only charge quickly from, let's say, dead to 40%, and then they start to slow down there. So we prioritized multiple charging stops more than we needed, uh, but then only charged up to about 50, 60% of the battery pack and then went to the next one. And it's actually faster for us to stop more often, as long as the chargers are right off the highway, which they are, and charge mm. only when the car can accept maximum power. The big story here with the Taycan, I think, is it's the first time the electric record has been beaten not in a Tesla, because we're off of the Tesla supercharger network with no access to it. And, uh, you know, I'm sure, have you experienced Electrify America yet, by the way? I was going to say, so th this surprised me. We do have an Electrify America charger near us at the studio, right? And we also have a, a Tesla supercharger. So we don't have so much of a difference near me. But if I were to drive straight south, it would be a while before I found another Electrify America charger. I think there's a pair of them uh, on 95 South in New Jersey, like 45 miles from me. So there's a lot more of the Tesla supercharger network. Uh, I guess, yeah, I'm curious what your experience was planning around that network versus the way you planned with the Model 3. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think Tesla's been at this for, let's say, eight years of installing fast charging infrastructure, and EA's only been at it for two. Certainly, there are physically more superchargers than there are Electrify America DC fast chargers right now, but the rollout rate of Electrify America is far surpassing the rollout rate of superchargers. So they're kind of just dumping them everywhere. And so uh, the, the first priority was major highway routes. You have to connect dots to dots. So what are corridors? DC to Boston. And then you have Los Angeles to San Francisco. You know, the big ones where EVs will travel. They got that done within the first six months. And then it was, let's do more obscure routes, routes like cross country routes. There's two of them that they have. A third one's coming online now. And it's happened so quickly that most... Tesla owners especially, but most people don't realize that you can get a non-Tesla across the country because they've just plastered this network across the country in record time. 
And that was the story we wanted to tell. We wanted to say, look, on these long-distance routes, I-80, I-70, across the northern route from New York to Los Angeles, there's chargers every 100 miles. Uh, and it's all Electrify America. And we're, we were like, it's faster power than Tesla. It's up to 350 kilowatts. Tesla is mostly up to 150 on the cross-country routes. The new ones will do 250 kilowatt version three superchargers. And uh, part of it's like a CCS success story, which is let's show that the public network's actually getting better. I, I love that being a success story and not a fail because we need the competition. We need that to be built up. It's just that it's so new. That is fascinating. I have a bunch of nerdy questions for you just about like Go the, for it. The, the run itself. So you start off from New York. You kind of, I'm assuming you have pretty much all of your stops planned on the map before you start. For this particular drive, yes. I do a lot of EV road tripping just in general. Uh, we, we have a whole series that we do trips, and I never plan those. But for something that's as important as the run, yep, we knew every single station we'd be stopping at. Did you end up hitting every single station the way you expected, or were there any scares or like diversions at the last minute? You get a little too low, you got to stop early? Yeah, part of the the plan, we created like this charging docket. We had backup options along the way, uh, whether a charger wouldn't work. Some of them had other DC fast chargers nearby, like an EV go station that had slightly less power. That would have been okay. Um, but no, it, it went uh, perfectly fine. I would say we had a lot of bugs with charging, with software, with handshake communications. Um, mm. But, you know, occasionally we'd get to a charger, have to unplug, try a different unit and plug back in. Uh, it doesn't happen very often on the supercharger network. It's much more reliable, but it does sometimes. This was certainly less reliable, I would say, than the supercharger network. Uh, but yeah, that, that was it. We Every stop we hit pulled in between 1% and 4% on average. And uh, you know the best way to increase your range in an EV, if it doesn't look like you're going to make it there, is you just drop the speeds down a bit. Right. Huh, 1% to 4% on average is scary to me. I got down to one mile left in my car a while ago, which was 0.3%, and that was a, a little bit scary. Sure. Uh, so you, you charged up to 50, 50% usually because that's how you charge fastest. How many miles did you get uh, from those 50%? Were you, I guess, stopping like literally every hour? Um, yeah, this is a good question too. Basically, Tycon is EPA rated, I think, at 203 miles for the 4S version we were driving. However, I had done some range testing ahead of the drive in preparation to say, okay, we do 70 mile per hour EV range tests. And uh, the car did about 280 miles on the highway, which is amazing that it far surpassed EPA. Most cars, uh, especially Tesla, it's impossible to match your range at highway speed. So, uh, yeah, 50% charge, cruising at the speeds we were cruising, uh, pretty much was roughly 100 miles. 100 miles. Okay. I mean, yeah, that it's not un unusual to think. Like, you don't necessarily have to drive seven hours straight before you charge to get the, the best uh, possible record. If you were to do this again in, like, a future EV, what would you prioritize as like the number one way to, to lower your time? Would it be charging speed or would it be range time between charges? Yeah, the range actually doesn't matter too much um, because, as you know, there's enough charging infrastructure at this point where, um, you know, really pulling off the highway to stop in and, and charge is not a big thing. Our average charging time was around 12 to 15 minutes, maybe 16 minutes for the Taycan. So very uh, often, but quick stops. The biggest thing is how much range you have, but after the charging curve drops. 
So once you come off of peak charging power, how much range do you have at that point really determines this drive, not how much range is at 100%. Because again, it could take an hour and a half to full charge a car in some cases. Right. I'm Yeah, I'm, I'm such... So the, the modifications I saw in my YouTube rabbit hole dive were like some of the winners of the Taycan or the sorry the Cannonball Run. They would have like these modified gigantic gas tanks in the backseat of their car. So it'd be two drivers. They'd switch on and off, and they'd have like 150 gallons of gas in the car, and they would just cruise for hours in a row. Um, I kind of wonder if something like you know maybe the Tesla Roadster. Maybe you get to something with like three or four times the range of of what you were accomplishing in the Taycan. Uh, would cut down the amount of times you need to charge. Maybe that first run to the first charger is 500 miles instead of 100. Yeah, this certainly makes a difference, and this is something we've calculated because in the Tesla world, one of the hot topics is, is the Model 3 the fastest car, or is it a Model S Long Range Plus with more available energy capacity in the battery pack? And because uh, this drive is so long, I actually don't think you get that much of an advantage up front. Certainly some, uh, if you can start with a big tank, essentially, a, a, a lot of energy in the battery pack. But what really matters is, is charging speed and for how long can you pull those speeds. And I really think the ultimate car, again, we don't know the exact charging curve, we can extrapolate it though, is going to be the Lucid Air might be the mm. real next thing. Now, Tesla also has their Plaid Model S with uh, you know 520 miles of range and a whole bunch of great specs that are claimed. The problem is uh, the infrastructure from New York to Los Angeles for Tesla is significantly lower power than the Electrify America network. Um, certainly some routes like New York, uh, or I should say from LA to San Francisco, the Tesla might demolish it. We don't know for sure. But at least the cross-country route where you're going through Missouri and Nebraska, they're not putting version 3 superchargers at any time soon, I don't think. Right. That's a great point. So the ones, so your, your experience was you found mostly the new high-powered chargers along your route. Not just found, but you planned based on seeing those super high-powered chargers through all of those middle America states already. Yeah, I think we had 27 individual stops. It might be 26. I haven't counted. Uh, but... Every single one of those, except for one, was 350 kilowatts. And the one that wasn't 350 kilowatts was Baker, California. It's a brand new site. They're getting them there, uh, but it was 150 kilowatts. And we only stopped there for four minutes. So, you know, it's not, uh, we had the best charging situation here. The One of the challenges we faced, though, was the winter time, of course. EVs are less efficient in the winter. But I think you mentioned this on last week's podcast, too, once the car's warmed up, it doesn't really matter. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, EVs are very inefficient in cold weather for short trips, but once they burn the energy to heat everything up, all you're really doing is maintaining it. And if anything, it led to uh, potentially faster charging speeds because the car didn't have to work to keep itself cool every charging session. Right. I love that. I love <laughs> The success story just makes me really happy because now this, this competition spins up and Tesla's building a lot more. But also, let's just... If we just talk about the difference between driving a Model 3 across the country and a Taycan across the country, as much as I love the Taycan's interior, it is a little lower, a little sportier, a little firmer. Did you find that to affect the, you know, your drive at all? Did you arrive at the, at the end of the Model 3 trip a little more comfortable? Yeah, so I think uh, you know, ride quality in itself, the Porsche wins because it has softer dampers, so it's able to soak up the bumps, but... Seat comfort is a whole nother topic of conversation. 
also rear seat comfort because we had three drivers. So we rotated out of the back seat. And okay. this is where we had some problems. There's different spec of seats you can get in the Taycan. We had the 14-way powered with massaging option. The massage helped a lot. <laughs> but still, yeah. the bottom seat comfort was quite hard. So, yeah, we definitely were feeling it at the end. Hard to remember at the end of the Model 3 drive if we were in a lot of pain. Something about the Model 3 seats in particular. I've owned a Model S as well. Um, the Model 3 seats are just so good. I don't. They're not fancy. They don't massage you, but they just work. They're, yeah, they're less sporty but more pillowy. So, like, yeah. in a sportier drive, they might be less ideal. But in a cross-country drive, I imagine that's actually kind of great. Uh, it's probably a good sign that you don't remember it. <laughs> right, yeah, I think that's probably accurate. You know, the, the Porsche has other tech, which is good, like really good lane centering and adaptive cruise. We didn't really use a lot of these things. Neither did we use autopilot on the uh, Tesla run that much, only if we were in traffic, because uh, typically the speeds are higher than what the Tesla system allows. But also mm -hmm. when you're driving quite quickly, you need to stay 100% focused. Uh, and and yeah. you really don't want the distraction of the driver assistance systems. Awesome. Well, I, I guess my last question to you would be, do you think that you will try to do this again? Because you've set, this is a, a sort of an unofficial record, but as far as we know, that's the fastest anyone's ever gone on that route in an electric car. Do you think you will be up to try again with your, your fellow drivers when maybe a, maybe a, a more efficient long-range EV comes out? Are you up to it? Um, well, hard to predict the future, but I, I think at this point, I'll probably stay out of it for a little bit. I know of uh, 12 attempts, 10 for sure, but likely 12 to break our previous record, uh, the one that mm -hmm. we just broke. And so there are people out there that are trying this. Uh, and really, from my point of view is I, I don't really care to, to hold the record. You know, I, I don't need to, to hold that. That's not a, a personal pride thing. What I really like is just the technology being pushed. So as long as there's other people that are telling the Tesla story, telling the CCS story, and making sure that they're doing the runs properly and safely and things like this, then then I'm quite happy staying out of it. But certainly we'll be writing about it when, when those happen. Awesome. Well, Kyle, thank you for, for all the information, of course. And I, if you, hey, if you ever do try it again, you're invited back on the podcast to tell us about how it went. Uh, thank you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for talking Taycan cross-country trip with us. Yeah, thanks, Marquez. Thanks to uh, you guys. Love the show, and uh, we'll be listening in on the next one for sure. Awesome. Thank you again to Kyle Connor. If you guys want to check out more of what he does, you can find him online at Out of Spec Studios, uh, but he also hosts a weekly podcast at Inside EVs, so if you want to nerd out way more about not just Tesla, but all kinds of EVs, EV, yeah. more than we do here on Waveform, I'll, we'll have all the links in the show notes, so you can check that out as well. Either way, that's been it. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next week. Waveform is brought to you in part with Studio 71, and our intro-outro music was created by Cameron Barlow. Support for this show comes from Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync so that even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account. So ambitious companies have the precision, control, and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com.